0: Do you like birds? Do you like knowledge? Well, my friend, you find yourself in the right place. Welcome to Blurbs, a podcast about birds. Hi, I'm Matt, bird enthusiast from New Zealand. Let's get into it. Chatham Island. Located 860 kilometres east of New Zealand, is where the rarest seabird in the world calls home. It is a petrel, or taiko in Māori, and so goes by the name of the Chatham Island taiko. Makes sense. It also has an alternative name of the magenta petrel, scientific name Pterodroma magenta. Pterodroma begins with a silent P, just like in the word pterodactyl. Now, from that second name, Magenta Petrel, you may be picturing a reddish, purple bird that soars across the open seas. How awesome would that be? And don't get me wrong, this bird is definitely awesome. But that is unfortunately not the case. It was given this name after the Italian warship called the Magenta, on which crew members Giglioli and Salvadori shot and described the first specimen known to western science. This occurred in 1867, while voyaging the seas east of the Chatham Islands. This type specimen, aka the first individual collected and used to name and describe the species, is held in the Turin Regional Natural Science Museum in Italy. So, unfortunately, they are not magenta-coloured birds. They are in fact a dark grey to brown colour on top, and white on the underside, with sooty black patches surrounding the eyes. They are a medium-sized petrel, measuring around 40 centimeters long, with a wingspan of just over a metre, and weighing in at about half a kg. Sexes are monomorphic, meaning that males and females essentially look the same. Another Chatham Island Tycho, hereon referred to as just Tycho would not be found again for over a hundred years. This was until ornithologist David Crockett captured two on Chatham Island. He was tipped off to a potential colony by Chatham Island farmer Harry Blythe. He would then make multiple visits through the 1970s, before finally making his discovery on January 1st, 1978. If his New Year's resolution that year was to find the bird, then he did a really good job. Radio transmitters would start to be attached to the birds from 1987 onwards, and this enabled their nesting burrows to be discovered in a dense forested area 4 to 6 kilometres inland. It took 17 years of dedicated searching for these burrows to be discovered, and to this day this is still the only known area on the island or anywhere else where Taiko are known to breed. Sadly, they are ranked as critically endangered by the IUCN, the International Union for the Conservation of Nature, with a population size thought to be fewer than two hundred birds. Recent conservation efforts, however, have brought the number of breeding pairs back from as low as eight to now around thirty, as reported by the Chatham Island Taiko Trust. It hasn't always been this way. The taiko, however. From what I understand, Moriori and Māori, the indigenous Polynesian people of Chatham Island and the New Zealand mainland, respectively, used young taiko as a food source. Records indicate that a harvest of 1,000 chicks was carried out in 1903, thus highlighting their increased abundance early in the 20th century. Settlement on Chatham Island unfortunately introduced Pacific rat which may be a predator of the tyco, and other potential predators, such as cats, were also introduced by Europeans in the early 19th century. This, alongside the clearing of land for farming, and the introduction of other burrow nesting animals, such as wicker and possum in the late 1920s and 30s, are all thought to be contributing factors to the population's steep decline. Despite their critically endangered status, The current Taiko population has a surprisingly high level of genetic diversity. This describes the amount of genes and thus potential traits in a population. A high level of genetic diversity increases a species' fitness, also known as reproductive success, as well as their ability to adapt and evolve as necessary to changes in the external environment. Small populations are generally expected to have a lack of genetic diversity from both a simple numbers perspective, and also due to a higher chance of inbreeding suppression. This describes the reduced survival and fertility of offspring, who are created by closely related individuals. Very interesting stuff. Having a deep dive into genetic diversity and its role in conservation is definitely something on my note of podcast topics that sits on my screen as we speak. But for now... We are trying to get to the bottom of why this small population of birds has such an unexpectedly high level of genetic diversity, which is a good thing, right? And we want to keep it that way. The following factors have likely helped to slow the loss of genetic variation. Tycho typically have long lifespans, living between 30 to 40 years, as well as delayed sexual maturity, with the youngest Tycho known to have bred being 7 years old. In other words an individual and its genes stick around for a long time and the gamble of mixing and passing genes to the next generation isn't taken for a number of years thus causing any change in population genetics to be slow over time the current tyco population seems to be retaining a high level of genetic diversity from past more numerous generations due to these factors supporting this is that a high level of genetic diversity in other small populations has been linked to a recent decline in population number, and this is consistent with the timeline that we have talked about for the Taiko today. Another exciting possibility is that the high level of genetic variation reflects other undiscovered populations of Taiko. Research studies have not always been able to identify an individual's mother from the known colony via genetic testing, and this could support the idea that their mother is located in a colony elsewhere. There have also been reports of Tyco near Chile, and thus other populations could exist here or on islands off the coast of South America. The original type specimen was found in the seas of the central South Pacific Ocean which lies between New Zealand and South America, and so this idea is not entirely far-fetched. It could, however, just reflect a large foraging range of the taiko, as they spend the majority of their time, everything except breeding, at sea. If the taiko is to increase in numbers, it has to breed, right? So let's talk about it. To have babies, the first thing you need is a home and it's the male who will excavate a burrow, or potentially repossess an existing one. These burrows are typically several metres long. Most taiko find or create burrows between the ages of 6 to 9 years old, and it typically takes 1 to 3 years, but sometimes longer after burrow construction begins for a tyco to breed. Some of this time is taken up with burrow building, however scientists also think that a lack of potential mates in the population is another contributing factor to this long period between house building and baby making, as it delays pair formation, sometimes taking years for a single tyco to become coupled up with a mate. Interestingly, pair formation appears to occur in flight, which is a unique trait for those in the genus Pterodroma when compared to other petrol species. Pairs form long term partnerships and are socially monogamous, that is, appearing to only have one mate at a time. However, in birds, we know this isn't always the case, even when it appears to be. Prior to laying just one egg, sexes depart on a pre-laying exodus. This is an extended foraging trip, where birds build up the energy stores needed for the breeding process. This takes between 50 and 55 days to complete, before the couple return to shore in late November to December for laying. Interestingly, this pre-laying exodus is one of the longest among seabird species. For reference, in most other petrel species, it lasts for under one month. Only one other petrel, the grey-faced petrel, appears to have a longer pre-laying exodus than the taiko. Incubation occurs December through January, with there being three main incubation shifts, lasting about two weeks each. The male takes the brunt of this work, performing two of three shifts, which I guess is only fair, as he didn't have to go and produce and lay an egg. Tycho are classified as nocturnal, and so if not on an incubation shift, will visit the burrow between one hour after sundown and one hour before sunrise. A single chick will hatch out in January to early February and fledge, that is, develop the wing feathers capable of flight, from April to June. Chicks are usually fledged by the time the parents are 10 years old. With this length of time, and with only one chick being produced per pair, that's per breeding season, we can see why it is so hard for the Taiko population to recover its numbers. It is a slow process. Side note, it's actually quite common for fledglings to crash while trying to take flight for the first time. They're recovered from the forest by conservation workers and taken back to the burrow for a second go. One study showed that as many as 61% of chicks crashed and needed rescuing. If a tycho chick is a serial offender and crashes more than twice, they will often be transported directly to the coast to make it easier for successful liftoff. With such a small population and slow reproduction rate, there can't afford to be any tyco lost at such an early stage. Part of a fledgling's success on their first aviation adventure is not surprisingly due to the wind conditions that surround them. It takes longer for chicks to leave when on the leeward side of the colony, that is, the side that is sheltered from the wind, when compared to the windward side and more leeward fledglings will crash when attempting to leave. The taiko is an enigmatic bird, difficult to fully understand due to its rarity, seafaring nature, only coming ashore for breeding in one remote location, and the fact that it is nocturnal and lives in underground burrows when not on the wing. Despite this, the taiko is an icon for Chatham Island being immortalised on commemorative currency on more than one occasion. As unique as it is to have the title of the world's rarest seabird, I hope one day this ceases to be the case, with the Chatham Island Tycho thriving in years to come. Thank you so much for listening. This episode was particularly fun for me to record, as I knew virtually nothing about the Chatham Island Tycho going into it. I'd read it was the world's rarest seabird, and that was enough of a hook to make me want to learn more. I hope you've found it as interesting as I have. If you'd like to support me, you'll find me on Instagram at matt.rossella, that's m-a-t-t dot R-O-S-S-E-L-L-A. You can also contribute on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash blurbs 439, link in the show notes. A monthly contribution of $12.50 New Zealand equating to about $7 US will help me with my goal of making the Blurbs podcast a part-time job. Getting content out like this is my passion, and any support is greatly appreciated. Thank you again, and I'll see you next time. Dee, 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 Blurbs.